week we are going to get into abusive relationships, which I think is a really important topic. It's something that probably makes a lot of people uncomfortable and something that probably people maybe don't want to talk about, but it's very important to bring awareness to it as well as to help people understand what an abusive relationship is. Because when we think of an abusive relationship, I think the first thing that comes to mind for most people is physical abuse. But there are other types of abusive relationships. And so I think it's important to talk about those. And we are going to get into physical abuse and the unique dangers of that because it's more dangerous than other abusive relationships. But any abusive relationship should not be tolerated. Right. So the other two that I think we can talk about along with physical would be emotional and then verbal abuse. And I think, you know, some people don't separate emotional and verbal abuse because often, because if you think about it, any emotional abuse is going to be verbally transmitted. But I like to separate them because verbal abuse to me is in a different category, name calling, putting down Mm -hmm. someone, you know, we can get in more detail about it. But I think emotional is kind of tricky because it can be so subtle. Yeah. And and so that's why I like to separate them. That if you're married to a sociopath, which mm-hmm. maybe someday we should do a whole episode on sociopaths, but if you're married yeah. to a sociopath, I think they're really good at being so subtle about, you know, inflicting that emotional abuse. So those are the three types that I think we could talk about. Right. And when I think of emotional abuse, I would picture someone who is manipulative, really manipulative. And I've certainly seen that in a relationship before. And I think one of the hard things about emotional and verbal abuse is how easily it's hidden and how subtle it is. And so most people don't even know. Physical abuse is much harder to hide because, I mean, it's, it's physical. But emotional and verbal, it's very, very often very easily hid because the abuser will behave in front of other people. And so it's only going on behind closed doors very often. Right. I was talking to someone, you know, who I was treating who had been in a verbally and emotionally abusive relationship. And it was interesting. She said that it's like you get into it and it starts slowly. So you're, you enter into this relationship or this marriage and it's not like it hits you, you know, full on right off, mm-hmm. but five years, 10 years down the road, all of a sudden you have this realization, this epiphany is what she called it. This epiphany that, oh, okay, this is not okay. Right. And so I think, you, you know, often you have to have something that kind of jars you and says, wait, this isn't right. And I think we'll talk about also later, maybe the how friends and or family, often they see it. Yeah. You know, because they're around it and, and sometimes it's seen that way. And what can friends and family do also if the person doesn't see it? Or also, you know, sometimes it's hard to get out of abusive relationships, which is yes. also a big factor that we'll talk about. Yes, it is. And I think you bring up a really good point in that abusive relationships, they often don't start out as abusive. And that can be true with physical abuse as well. I've heard that before, that they are really good about it until you've been in the relationship for a long time and you feel committed. And then it kind of slowly, very slowly starts to happen. Like it starts with something subtle, like, oh, I don't know, maybe in anger, they 
smack your hand or something or you know or right. it could be something right. small or something innocent and it grows right. i've even heard of stories of someone who there was maybe no obvious red flags and then once they got married is when the abuse starts right you know red flags is something i want to talk about but yes. i should have said this at the start that i think it's important to understand that it's both males and females who yes are the abusers. Now, statistically, I'm sure it's more likely that the male is going to be the one who's physically abusing, although that's not always the case. Yes. I want to make sure our listeners understand that, but I think more often than not, it's going to be the male. And I think often it's just because of the size and strength and things like that. Mm -hmm. But I think when you talk about emotional and, and verbal abuse, I don't know what the statistics are because I think they're very hard to, to gather but I think it is equally probable that it could be the male or female who is doing mm-hmm. that type of abuse. Anyway, going back to red flags. So I know that, I, I don't know if we've talked about it on our podcast episode. I'd certainly talk about it a lot on the radio program that I'll have couples in the office and, you know, we'll start talking and they'll start talking about these behaviors. And often, not always, but I'll ask, when did you first notice this or when were you aware And it's frequent that that one or both of them will, you know, if they're referring to the other person, they'll say, well, you know, when we're dating, here's Mm -hmm. here's the behavior. So it's really important. If you see a red flag, do not ignore it because, you know, you have this gut feeling almost. And Mm -hmm. if, if you feel like something's wrong, pay attention to it. Yeah. Now, often what I'll hear is they'll enter into the marriage because there's love there. Now, I think that's true. That, as I've said before, it's never about love. It's always about behavior. Mm -hmm. And so I think you can love each other and treat each other poorly. And so you have to pay attention to the behavior. And what I hear people say is, well, I thought I could change him or her, Mm -hmm. or I thought he would grow or she would grow out of that behavior. And so I think I think this is an old computer term, WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. And I think you need to have that attitude because, you know, you'll see this behavior and you either need to solve it or address it first Mm -hmm. and then possibly get married. But do not get married thinking that you're going to change the other person. I think that's unlikely to happen. Don't marry a project. (laughs) No, no. (laughs) That is a good way to put it. Do not make your spouse your project. Yeah, it doesn't work and it's just not a good idea. If they're a project and you really do love them, I think the best course of action is to say, you know, I love you and I want to be with you and I would love to commit myself to you, but let's work through these problems first before we make that ultimate commitment. Because once you're married, it's so much harder to get out of it in a lot of cases, especially when kids get involved. And we're going to get into that later But, you know, kids change everything. And if there's a problem, a kid's just going to make it worse. That's right. This would probably be a good time to talk about some of the characteristics of abusive relationships. And so I'm just going to go down. Yesterday, I was thinking about it, made a list. So these are in no particular order. It's just as I came up in my head. Possessiveness or control. You know, one of the things I hear, which is kind of, I don't know why this is uh, surprising to me but a person who has to know where the other person is at all times. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing that happens with cell phones now, if I call you, you have to pick up. 
Yeah. And that's... if you don't pick up, you're going to be in trouble. Mm-hmm. See, that's possessiveness and controlling. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you, you mentioned, manipulation. Isolation is another one. If your partner isolates you in such a way that you start to lose your friends, you aren't around your family as much, that is a big red flag. Mm-hmm. There should not be isolation belittling or criticism. Now, I want to be clear that some of these things I'm going to mention in and of themselves does not mean that it's a an abusive relationship, but I see right. plenty of relationships that I would not characterize as abusive where there's criticism. Oh, yeah. And often belittling. And I just think that they can be present and often in conjunction with other issues and other mm-hmm. behaviors. Mm-hmm. Volatility. I think is a big one, you know, unable to control your anger, like the slightest thing will set the person off. And one thing that goes along with volatility is unpredictability. Mm -hmm. One of the things that makes us feel safe, I think, as children with parents or as adults in relationships is when our partner is predictable. And it's one of the things that leads to build trust. Mm-hmm. between people. When you're unpredictable, you can't trust the other person. And often that unpredictability goes along with the volatility. You have no idea what or when the other person is going to get set off. Right. Uh, the verbal abuse, name calling, I mentioned belittling, putting down. Mm-hmm. Physical abuse, of course, I think any type of physical abuse is problematic pushing, shoving. Now, a lot of people say, well, he's just shoved me once or she shoved me once. Certainly hitting. I mean, I think we know when, you know, it's, it's really problematic, but I, you shouldn't, I personally think you should never get to a point where you're so angry or so uncontrolled in the relationship that you're shoving each other, because that's the start of something bad. Yes, exactly. If you are ever in a point of frustration, your hands should never be on anyone if if right. you're feeling frustrated right. it's not appropriate you know that it shouldn't and if it ever gets to that point you need to immediately address it acknowledge that that is not acceptable behavior it's not okay and you need to get some help because even just one time you need help because it will lead to bigger and worse things okay let's take a quick break and we will be right back Hi there, my name is Maya Acosta, and I'm the host of the Healthy Lifestyle Solutions podcast, where I explore ways that we can optimize our health. I learned about the field of lifestyle medicine, which uses evidence-based approaches to prevent, halt, and in even some cases, reverse disease. These are lifestyle modalities, such as using certain foods as medicine, using exercise to reverse disease, managing our stress, and even getting adequate sleep. Join me and the amazing people that I get to talk to as I set out to learn how taking better care of ourselves can help us both improve the quality of life and enhance our longevity. Let's get started. So here's a characteristic that, again, in and of itself, does not mean abusive relationship, but it often is there. Never takes responsibility. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you have these actions, it's always somebody else's problem, or it's always your fault. You made me so angry that I had to hit you, you know, and I've heard people yeah. say that. And yeah. if you're not taking responsibility for your behavior, that is really a problem. And this one also, I think is problematic, even, you know, individually cruelty to animals. 
Mm-hmm. Um, often, like if you have a family pet and the person's kicking the family pet or hitting the family pet or being cruel, then that is a real big red flag and a yep. warning. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, that's something that's often present before the marriage. Uh, the last one I wanted to mention, I'm interested in your take on this. And I've been thinking about how to present this. So if you think about what we might call traditional roles of men and women, mm-hmm. and I think what this goes along with is inflexibility. Okay. And so often, if you have someone who really has this idea of traditional roles, mm-hmm. which in of itself, if both people want that, that's not a problem. I mean, no. I'm not right. saying that's a problem. But now often, you know, there's more fluidity between roles in a marriage. But if you have someone who's really stuck on those traditional roles and is inflexible, so they they have to go together. No, you can't go out and get a job, which actually ties into controlling. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it does. Yeah, I agree. So, so if, uh, let's say, often it happens, I've heard this, um, the female or the wife wants to go out and get a job and have a career. She marries someone who's controlling and says, no, you cannot do that. Your place is in the home. That's an abusive relationship, I think. And so it's that controlling and inflexible attitude. I would tend to agree. Yeah, I I would see that as controlling. I think that goes back to something that we've talked about many, many times on this show. And it's the book Lies at the Altar. And it's the 247 questions to ask before you get married. And that's one of the questions that they talk about is what's your opinion on both of us working, one of us working, especially when we have kids, you know, those are important to discuss. And I think that's one of the things that made Curtis and I feel so secure in getting married, having not really known each other very long is we had the same goals. We both knew that we wanted a family. We both agreed early on that we wanted me to be a stay at home mom. We -hmm. wanted that traditional role. And, and and it's worked very well for us. And we've both been happy and compatible. But I think if there was ever a point where maybe I had, or for example, let's say I had changed my mind and I say, I want to get a job. Being a stay-at-home mom, it's no longer working for me. I want something different. I want to get a job. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that Curtis just has to roll over and say, okay, I guess we're just going to completely change our lives. But if he were to just say no and it not be open for discussion, I think that's a problem. And the thing I've said before is I really view the marriage, the relationship as a team. Yes. You've got to be a team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as you've talked about your relationship with Curtis, what stands out to me is you seem like a team. Mm-hmm. To me. So being a team, I think, is really important. And I, you know, certainly if you have a division of labor in any relationship, that makes sense to me. Lindy and yeah. I have always done that. But, you know, we feel like a team and you and Curtis seem like a team as well. Yeah, I feel like we are a really good team. And I want to acknowledge maybe another red flag or sign that could be an abusive relationship, but doesn't necessarily mean abusive relationship. And maybe it's more appropriate to just call it laziness. But either way, or I think it's a problem if one partner just expects the other one to do all the work and and doesn't and refuses to contribute. And that can be a really dicey subject too, because I mean, I think there are times, for example, my family, my dad has worked incredibly hard 
my entire life. And he's often done physical labor, hard physical labor, such as landscaping, or he's in the moving industry where he works very long hours and he's putting in a lot of physical work. And he comes home completely exhausted. But, you know, I've also heard before where women, they feel like they have to do it all. See, again, it's how you have the dialogue about it. Yeah. Right? And I don't know how your parents handled that, but you're right. It's the context and, and often the context is such that maybe one person doesn't give quite as much when they're in the home, mm-hmm. but you have to talk about it and you can't yeah. make the assumption uh, because as I've said before, a lot of couple issues come from unfulfilled expectations. Mm-hmm. And the only way around that is to make your expectations known and to make your expectations explicit and talk about them. Yeah, right. I agree. So let's go back to some of those red flags because we've talked about red flags early in a relationship and really paying attention to those, you know, red flags or if something just doesn't feel right, you need to address that early on. So one thing that comes to mind, and I think we've talked about this before, is someone who's belittling. And I think that this can be very subtle because someone can just come across as, I want to help you to be a better person. So I'm going to constantly tell you what you're doing wrong. Right. That is emotionally abusive. It is. And so it's one of the reasons, you know, when we get into more detail about why do people stay in abusive relationships, one of the reasons would be low self-esteem or low Mm self-image. And so often that comes from family of origin. And as I've said before, we are unconsciously attracted to people who remind us in some way of one of our parents. And so I've certainly seen the case where someone grows up in a family where they are criticized or they are belittled. But in, so in your family of origin, there's this power differential that always exists. Mm -hmm. And so the child can't say anything uh, to the parent of don't do this or, you know, let's change this or let's work on this. And so the child grows up, you know, 18, 19 years And they're in this home and their brain becomes used to that. And it's almost like, okay, this is what I'm expecting. This is the way people treat me. And so you then are unconsciously attracted to someone who is going to continue that behavior. And this often is the case. And the book that deals with this the best is called Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks. And so I think that's a good book for couples to read. But so that you get into this marriage and there's that belittling or that criticism, the person doesn't say anything because they're expecting it. Mm -hmm. But I think over the course of the marriage, often what happens is they then become more aware. And I'm not sure what that mechanism is that causes someone to, over time, become more aware. But I think it could be maturity, or it could be getting out and having friends and understanding, Mm -hmm. oh, other couples don't do this or other husbands or wives don't treat their spouses this way. And so having the realization slowly, it dawns, Mm -hmm. okay, this is not right. This is not normal. Then it becomes a problem because you're what, five, 10 years into the marriage. Then you say, well, this is a problem. And the other person, they're used to doing it, but it is abusive. I, Mm -hmm. I agree with you, but it becomes very, very tough for some people to realize that it's abusive at some point they typically do, and then they want it to change. Yeah, exactly. And I think another reason why people maybe enter into or stay in an abusive relationship, a lot of it 
again, and this ties back to that low self-esteem, they don't think they'll ever be able to find anyone else. They think right. that it's their only chance to get married and to have a family. And that's not the case. And I think it's better to be alone than in any sort of abusive relationship. Just because it's not physical abuse doesn't make it less damaging. I think that's I another... Agree. I think that's another important thing to bring up that, yes, physical abuse, we know that that's obviously unacceptable, but emotional and verbal abuse, they're not any less damaging to your psyche than being physically beaten. I agree. And what happens is that, you know, instead of being beaten up on your body, you're beaten up mentally and it leads to depression, leads to a lot of depression and sometimes anxiety. And so, you know, in the case, uh, again, this is something I've seen in case you have children. Mm -hmm. And let's say it's the mother who's being belittled or criticized. She's not going to be as good a mother as she could be if she were either alone and not being belittled or with someone who doesn't criticize her. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you. I always think if it's not physical abuse, if it's say that emotional or verbal abuse, I would suggest the couple try to figure out a way to change it, which is mm-hmm. going to, it's going to require some sort of couples therapy. I don't think a couple is going to be able to do it on their own because let's say it's a man who's being, you know, emotionally abusive or verbally abusive. I think it's really helpful to have another man say, this is not okay, what yeah. you're doing. And sometimes they need to hear it. Now it can come from a therapist. It can also, it could come from a family friend. It could come from a relative because, you know, there it's, it's likely others are going to see that behavior. Absolutely. Yeah. So I think it's also important to acknowledge that you can have two people who are abusive. You can certainly yeah, have two people who true. are equal who are equally physically abusive, but you can also have a couple who they emotionally and mentally verbally abuse each other. I've seen it before. Two couples who I've seen it as well. And that's not a pretty sight. No. And they bring everyone around them down and it's a really ugly sight to see. And I think one thing that's very, very common in that situation is both of them will blame the other. Mm Mm-hmm. And, you know, you talk to one person and they say, well, they do this, 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 and this wrong. But then the other person goes, will say, well, they do this, 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 and this wrong. And so they always put the blame on the other person. But I mean, it's mutually assured destruction is what it is. And, you know, I've seen that in the office. And so you'll have one person say, yeah, you know, my spouse does this. But as you, you're talking, all three of us are in the room and it's hard for them to hear until I finally point out to them, do you realize you're saying the same thing about each other and they don't pick it up, even though it's right there in front of them. And it's like this revelation. Oh, okay. We're both feeling the same thing. And that's often the case. You're right. Yeah. I think it's maybe a little bit more common than people think for both spouses or both partners to be mutually abusive. And I think it often too makes it harder to resolve because you have to have both people equally committed to working on it and to resolving the behavior. Yeah, I agree. So now one thing is if you are in an emotionally or verbally abusive relationship and you decide to get out and there are kids involved, 
what can often happen is you can't just completely disconnect that person from your life, particularly if maybe they have problematic behavior towards you, but they don't towards their kids. And I think that's a little bit of a unique situation. And and I've seen it happen before where it was an abusive or an unhealthy relationship and she decided to get out, but they have kids together and she wasn't able to get full custody of the kids. So right. that's very unusual that that would happen. Yes, where without the presence of physical abuse, because obviously if there's physical abuse, of course, just going to say, yeah, no, you. Uh, that's not, I mean, it depends on the state, I suppose. I mean, yeah. I know in the state of Utah, now, physical abuse is serious, but right. the DCFS, their stated goal is to reunite even, you know, when there's sexual abuse. So it's not always the case. I mean, there may be a time where the abuser isn't with the kids, but the, the goal is to get them back together. I don't know that I agree with that. I'm just saying that to get full custody in a divorce mm -hmm. is very, very difficult. Mm. It's certainly in the presence of just what you might call emotional and verbal right. abuse. It's right. impossible. And I mm -hmm. think that listeners should not think that that's going to happen. Right. Right. And so at that point, I want to acknowledge that you're going to have to set some pretty strict boundaries and maybe even just recognize and acknowledge that you're still tied to this person. And so you have to find a way to, I guess, live life with this abusive person. And so right, I you're going to have contact. And yeah. so I certainly think that you have to figure out a way to have I don't know, a friendly relationship that often doesn't happen. Right. But I think that you mentioned my favorite word, which is one of my favorite words, uh -huh. boundaries. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm always talking about. And so one of the things, once you get a divorce, like you could say, okay, we're only going to communicate via text or via mm -hmm. email or something like that, and which I think decreases the possibility of that verbal and emotional abuse. In extreme cases, mm -hmm. what you can do is you can go back to court and get what's called a special master, which mm -hmm. means that the way I understand it is all your communication goes through a third party. And mm. that is something that does happen. It's not that unusual. I think it's expensive to do. I mean, you're paying someone to actually be a filter yeah. uh, for everything that you do. And the end effect of that is people behave themselves because they know somebody else is going to be reading this. So yep. I can't be my old self and, mm -hmm. you know, be verbally and emotional abusive because it's going to go through this filter. So, but I, I think that's in the very extreme cases. And yes. so hopefully most cases are you just put those boundaries. I'm only going to communicate with you this particular way. We'll only communicate about these issues. And that tends to cut it down quite a bit. Yes. And I also want to take a minute and talk about the fact that in cases of divorce, how important it is for young children not to belittle your spouse to your kids. And yeah. and that can be incredibly hard in terms of emotional and verbal abuse. And I think that there will come a point in that child's life where maybe you can explain some of the things that were going on while your children are young. I think it's more important to do your very best to have a good working relationship with their parent, because no matter what your feelings, no matter what has gone on, they are still 50% that person. And so when you verbally abuse your spouse behind their back, and again, it's abusive, but when you talk bad, when you trash them, 
that's still their parent and they still love their parent and they have cherished memories and you don't want to taint that and you don't want to taint the relationship. Right. You start to split the kids between the parents. It's very damaging yes. for the children. But sadly, I see a lot of parents who do that. And it's almost like they can't resist. And often it's the parent who, sometimes there's a parent who's angry about the divorce. They didn't mm -hmm. want to get a divorce. And those are often the ones that then act out in some yep. way. They want to punish. And it, it's just very bad for the kids. And so at the very least, you need to try and be neutral. Yeah, as best as you possibly can, which again, when you've been through an emotional divorce and when you've been through emotional and verbal abuse, that can be incredibly difficult. But I mean, you just, you have to remember and think of what's best for your kid and what's best for your kid is not to completely damage the relationship between them and their other parent, because, you know, ultimately they're going to be around them. Right. And the way I always frame it, is if the other parent is not a nice person, mm -hmm. the kids eventually grow up, they become adolescents, they figure it out. Yes. They'll figure it out on their own. They do not need you to tell them that. They'll get it. Yes. Yes, exactly. They will. Okay. So going back to physically abusive relationships and physical abuse, that can be uniquely challenging to get out of them and potentially very dangerous. And I think it's important that we address that. So let's talk about the dangers of, you know, you're in a physically abusive relationship and you finally work up the courage or, you know, the realization, but you're finally ready to get out and why that can be uniquely dangerous. Well, I, I used to know these statistics, but it's just enough to say that there is a significant increase in probability of either you know, the person attacking you, killing you, harming you in a significant way when you try to get out. And so you have to be very thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. My experience with this, I think I've mentioned that early in my career, we were at the Family Support Center, which is a nonprofit group, and we dealt with this. And so it's important. This is often women. It's mostly women, mm -hmm. I think, who are trying to exit the relationship and probably often with children as well. Yep. So resources, there are certainly domestic violence shelters, but the place I would start, and again, I only know Salt Lake City and Utah because that's where we are, but the YWCA mm -hmm. is probably the very best resource. And, it, you know, if they aren't able to help you, they will certainly hook you up with the, they are a shelter, but there are certainly other shelters. I think they're at least way in the Park City, Salt Lake area, there are probably at least four other shelters and so I think YWCA is the best place to start. And they're very good at what they do. And they will help the person who is exiting the relationship be safe. They know all of the issues that need to be dealt with and they'll help you do it. And so I, th I think that would be the first call that I would make if I were trying to exit a relationship. Yes. And I want to bring this up again. If you are in a physically abusive relationship and you want to get out, don't do it by yourself because it is dangerous right. yeah. and you know, you, you need help. Yes. And it may sound like we're exaggerating it or in your mind, you may be thinking, well, I mean, they're not that abusive, you know, or I bet I could leave and it's going to be fine. Well, yes, that could be true, but it's not worth the risk. I'd rather exaggerate it and be safe. Exactly. I mean, so in a lot of cases, you're right, Liz, that we're, we might be exaggerating it, but at least you're going to be safe. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it might sound completely crazy and they might look at you and they might call you crazy. But you know what? The safety of you and especially the safety of your kids is more important. So before we end, what I'd like to do is just talk about some of the reasons mentioned briefly, the reasons that people stay in abusive relationships. One we mentioned before, low self-esteem, the idea Mm -hmm. I don't deserve any better. Fear, which we just went over, fear of being uh, injured, fear of being alone, fear of being hurt. The other one you mentioned at the start is a project, wanting to save the abuser. I hear that. Mm -hmm. Children, finances. This is certainly true. When you leave a marriage, it is financially difficult, most often for the wife. Family or cultural expectations Mm -hmm. that you can't, you don't want to disappoint family or the culture that you're in. And then also isolation. You know, one of the things that happens is you become isolated and you don't have any way to get help. So those are some of the reasons that people stay. Yeah. And I think it's also very emotional too. I mean, or all of these are tied to an emotion, the reason that we stay. And oftentimes, and I think we talked about this before, it's because there's genuine love. I mean, you love yes. this person and yeah. you've built a life with them. Yes. And and it can be incredibly hard and it's sad to leave that, but it's better to leave yes. it. it. I is. mean, it's I in in the moment it's going to be very hard to walk away, but eventually you're going to have hindsight and you're going to realize that you are much happier, that your life is better. I would imagine that it's going to be like a burden suddenly being released from you when you're free. You're going to feel the lifting of that burden. I agree with that. Okay. So I hope that if anyone hearing this has been in an abusive relationship, that they will seek the help they need and that, you know, they can move on to bigger and better things. So next week, we are going to have a special guest. So Dr. Sierra Burton, this is Dr. Burton's daughter. My oldest daughter. Yes, her oldest daughter. She is a pediatrician. And we're going to get into the topic of sleep training, which I have some experience with, with my three kids. And let me tell you, sleep training, it's a beast. (laughs) It is. For Sierra, this is a special interest for her. So she knows a lot about it. Yes, yeah, so it's going to be a really good episode. We're going to get into a listener story who is struggling with this issue. They started co-sleeping from the beginning, and now they need advice on how to get out of the co-sleeping, which I think is something very common. So 